There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome, everybody, to this week's exciting episode. Yeah! That was exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I caught you off guard on that one. Uh, you did, yeah. I always always wonder what you're going to do every week. And uh, yeah, that, that was a good one. <laughs> I'm running out of ideas already. <laughs> try, try a different word. <laughs> Pickles! <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, well, we've, we've got a book dive. This Ooh. week, it's not just going to be this week. I can tell you now that I'm never ever getting through this book in one session. I'm looking at about three. That's okay. So three weeks covering the story, and then on the fourth week, I've actually got the author coming for an interview. Lovely. Because this is this story. It, this it's, it's just an amazing one, man. I mean, it's very spiritual, mm-hmm. very very paranormal. Ooh. It's it's going to push the boundaries of what you believe. Oh, really? It really is. You've already tickled my teeth. Yeah, yeah. We've got ghosts. We've got ancient mysteries, artifacts. It's kind of like, kind of like Indiana Jones or or National Treasure. You know, the Nicolas Cage Ooh. film where he goes around and he's got to find clues to to get to the next yeah. bit. And you know, one one part rolls on to another. This is very much like that. In fact, this is actually part of a series of books. Um, by more than one author, or the people who are actually in in this book, mm-hmm. the characters have almost well at least another two of them have written their own books called the Greenstone and the Eye of Fire. Oh, and I'm going to be covering those two books in this first episode. Um, this this one, the Chronicles of Mianea, is kind of a, a summary of those other two books. And then it goes on to tell the rest of the story after those two books. And I believe uh, Giuseppe La Rosa, the author of this one, is currently writing another book sort of as an explanation to to this one. You know, Mm. his beliefs and, 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 you know, uh, in the encounters and and why it didn't quite go to plan. You see, this this book, there's a group of people, um, I think they... Call themselves the the the, the group of the Mianea group. Um, in fact, I'll, I'll let the, the the story explain it. Um, but they they are that they they are very spiritual, but um, they're like mediums. Oh, okay, at yeah, least yeah. a couple of them are really really like powerful mediums, but they've all got this sort of gift of intuition. And um, it, they say at the sort of start of the book that you know it, it, the people who have joined have, have just have joined because it's kind of their destiny t- to do so, or like their calling in life. Yeah. Ooh. So Giuseppe La Rosa or Joe is not uh, is not part of the the very f- the start of the story. 
which I'm going to I'm going to go into. I, I might as well read the first couple of chapters mm-hmm. just in its entirety because Joe explains what's going on so much better than what I could. Okay, doke. Um, and then we're going to have to start stepping it on a little bit. I, I might have to miss a few bits out or just you know w- whitewash over them a little bit. But I mean, it's very very interesting story. Uh, you can pick it up on Amazon yourself. Um, I can't remember how much I paid for this now. It was a few months ago that I bought it. Um, but, I, I mean, it's a hell of a story. I'm going to have to leave some of it out, but it's well worth reading yourself. Um, anybody at home that want, wants to sort of fill in the blanks, if you like, it, it's definitely worth buying and reading. So, uh, without further ado, I suppose I shall uh, dive in. Go for it. Our first book dive of the new year, of our, our, our second year of podcast. Yeah, yeah, season two. So much like last year when we did the Doddleston messages on that lead up to Christmas... Mm. This this one's going to be this year. So, <clears throat> excuse me. The introduction is called The Calling. In the autumn of 1974, after a UFO encounter, an Essex family revealed through channeling information from an alien source that during the latter half of that decade, a mysterious intelligence would bring a group of people together in central England to perform some important tasks. In 1976... A young girl's encounter with a UFO in the Welsh countryside became an important factor in events that began to unfold a few years later. During the latter months of 1979, the earlier Essex family's prediction appeared to be taking root as unusual events began to manifest in the depths of England. In the Midlands, men, women and children began to receive identical psychic messages concerning a quest to discover small green gemstones. Circumstances brought a group of these people together and, guided by an unknown intelligence, they took up the quest to find the green stone. They had been informed had been, it had been lost from the pages of history. The group received psychic information concerning the history of the precious stone, which, they were informed, had been manufactured in ancient Egypt by the pharaoh Amenhotep I, husband of Nefertiti. Amenhotep was the pharaoh who changed his name to Akhenaten and who introduced a monotheistic religion to Egypt. Channeled information stated that Akhenaten had been the recipient of a secret knowledge that had been passed down to him. This knowledge had been brought over to Egypt by the adepts and initiates of the megalithic people known to the Meonia group as the Lan of ancient Britain. Knowing their civilization was in decline and wishing to preserve their secrets, they m- migrated to Egypt and passed their wisdom on to the Egyptian initiates. There, the green gemstone was cut and polished, then imbued with the secret knowledge, it was placed on top of the Great Pyramid where it received daily the full power of the sun. Following the death of Akhenaten, and not wanting the green stone of power to fall into the wrong hands, his followers took the gem and travelled northwards in search of the land from which their knowledge had originated, England. They eventually reached Britain in the last decade of the 14th century BC and settled in the dense forests of central England on a site known today as Berry Ring. The psychic information went on to say that centuries later, a powerful warrior queen arose called Guevara, who was a direct descendant of the original colonists. She became known as Gwenhofer, a legendary warrior queen who in later times became transformed to Guinevere, the wife of the fabled King Arthur. Oh, okay. After her death, the knowledge of the green stone was known only to a few and was kept cloaked in the veil of secrecy. The holders of this knowledge were a small group of people known as the Nine. Throughout the Roman occupation of Britain and into the Dark Ages, those who became the linear successors of the Nine perpetuated the knowledge as a secret inner law. According to the psychic information, the stone then passed through history until it eventually fell into the hands of the Knights Templar, The Templars had been formed by nine knights in 1118 after the First Crusade had taken Jerusalem, ostensibly to protect pilgrims in the Holy Land and the city of Jerusalem. 
From the Knights Templar, the green stone eventually reached the hands of Mary, Queen of Scots. The psychic information being received went on to say that Mary, while imprisoned in Tutbury Castle in Staffordshire, had been visited by a certain man called John jo George Wintour and his young nephew, Robert Catesby. Mary must have seen something in the young man because she gave the green stone, which she had renamed the Meonia stone, or Meonia stone, an anagram for I am one, to Robert Catesby for safekeeping. In 1604, Robert Catesby hatched a plot to destroy King James I and the Protestant Parliament. Catesby's plan was to grow up, blow up the Houses of Parliament, and he was going to use the power of the green stone to help him to succeed. The plot failed, Guy Fawkes was caught, and Catesby and his fellow conspirators were pursued into the Midlands where most of them met their death. It was believed that the green stone had been passed to a gentleman named Humphrey Packington, who lived at Harvington Hall near Kidderminster. With this information, Graham Phillips and Andrew Collins, two members of the group searching for the stone, arrived at Harvington Hall. Looking around the old house, they noticed a set of murals called the Nine Worthies painted on a wall. They discovered that the murals, which featured, featured nine famous people from history and stylized posed, had been commissioned by Humphrey Packington himself. The two friends wondered if Packington may have left a clue to the whereabouts of the greenstone in the murals. He was thought to have been the last recipient of the stone before its disappearance. It was possible that the information they needed was right there in front of them. Using further psychic information and their own logic, they cracked the code that Packington had left for those he knew would come after him. The code they discovered was based on the stylized pose of the mural figures and a sword th thrust known as the St. George's Parry. And also on the number nine, it was then they were informed that, that to discover the stone, they would first have to find the sword which would point the way to the whereabouts of the green gem. One night, Graham Phillips and another member of the group, Andrew Collins, arrived at Seven Stoke, a small village situated in the heart of the Midlands. Close by lay a small body of water which was known locally as Knight's Pool, and by it was an old stone bridge. Using the symbolism of Packington's Code, they counted nine stones across and nine stones down in the foundation of the bridge. Managing to dislodge the ninth stone, they discovered a short sword lodged in the recess where the stone had been. With utter disbelief, the two companions hurriedly departed the scene and sped home with the sword bound safely in cloth. And there is the sword. Wow. In, on the page. There is a picture of the actual sword. It looks ancient, but there it is. Uh, later that night, they arrived at Graham's flat in Wolverhampton and immediately began to clean the sword of its accumulated grime. Their surprise they discovered etched into the blade were the words Meonia for Mary. They realised that at that moment that the Mary etched into the sword could only be Mary, Queen of Scots. They had already been informed that Mary herself had called the green stone the Meonia stone, and Meonia was also etched into the sword, convincing evidence of the gem's existence. The group were informed of a discovery of the discovery of the sword and a short time later, five of the members returned to the bridge. Gaina Sunderland, a young girl who, together with her mother, Marion, were members of the group, held the sword in her hand, and applying her psychic abilities, used the sword to pinpoint the area in which the Meonia stone could be found. She indicated that in the distance there was an old ruin they would have to go to. The ruin was the crumbling remains of an old castle, but with a tower still intact. Gaina knew that she had to go into the tower, so Graham Phillips led the way and Gaina followed him. As they approached the top of the tower, a loud noise startled them. It sounded like agitated beating of large wings. A chunk of masonry came crashing down, and fearing for their safety, Gaina and Graham turned around and hurried back down the stairs. They quickly left the scene, unsure of what had occurred, but Gaina knew deep inside that they had been brought to the tower for a reason. Time was not on their side, for the group had been told that they had to find the stone by the night of Halloween, which was only two days away. Believing that the Meonia stone must be in the general area of Knight's Pool, the group examined a map and discovered that on the River Avon, which was about four miles away from the pool, there was a bend on the river called Swan's Neck. They knew that Mary, Queen of Scots, had been associated with the symbol of a swan. Could this be where the stone had been hidden, they thought to themselves. It was a distinct possibility. 
That night, in the family home in Wales, young Gainer Sunderland had a dream of a beautiful white swan flying away from the old tower. Around its long, graceful neck hung a le leather pouch tied by a cord. Gainer knew without a shadow of doubt that inside the pouch was the green stone. The following morning, not knowing of Gainer's dream, but understanding the urgency of the situation, Graham decided to go by himself for a short reconnoitre with the swan's neck bend. His intuition was telling him the stone was there. Knowing time was of the essence, he drove straight over to the swan's neck, and using the psychic information he had been provided and his own psychic talents, he dug where he believed the green stone was buried. He unearthed a brass casket. Inside, to his belief, lay the green stone. This is it, he thought, the Mionea stone of, Queen of Mary, Queen of Scots, of the Knights Templar, and of the ancient Egyptian pharaoh Akhenaten. Next to the green gemstone sat a small oval-shaped black stone. Oh. Graham instinctively felt that it was the guardian stone, psychically programmed to protect the Mionea stone. Deftly, he placed his trowel under the black stone and in one swift movement flicked it high into the air. He carefully watched the stone as it flew through the air, landing with a plop in the, following, in the flowing waters of the river. Clutching his prize, Graham made his way back to his car and drove away. That evening, in Marion's home in Flint, where the Mionea group had convened, Graham revealed the casket to his comrades and lifted the lid. The group gasped to their utter astonishment as they saw the Mionea stone lying there. It was true. It actually existed. After all the time they had spent searching for it, it was now right there. It proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that the psychic information was correct and that the entities guiding them existed in some form, somewhere. What now? What happened next to the group, thought to themselves. They were informed that the Mionea stone was to be used to combat a force of evil at a place called White Lady's Priory. It was about this time, in the latter half of 1981, that I became aware of the Greenstone quest and its continuing saga. So that, wow. is, that is how it all started off. Like I say, it's a very spiritual thing these people are mediums they 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 get this psychic information just f f just out of the thin air they called to them yeah it's calling to them but as you can see there's 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 a little brass casket there's the green stone mm, it's very old looking yeah um i wonder why he flicked the brown or the black rock into the well he said it, he, he intuitively thought it was a guardian stone so the black stone was guarding the green stone, so possibly had like a hex on it or something like that. Oh, okay. So he's yeah. flicked that away to get rid of get rid of that possibility. Um, we're going to see more evidence of guardians. Okay. And like spirit guardians. I'm liking throughout it. this. It's, it, like I say, it, it, it's a it is quite a compelling read. Mm. Um, that is just a summary of how they got hold of the green stone to start with. The next stone is like a, a, a yellowy orangey. It's called the, the Eye of Fire. So, it's, yeah. I've got a couple things I, I want to mention with that chapter that you read, though. Okay, yeah, go for it. Very, yeah. very good. I was listening to your every word. The first thing, Queen Nefertiti. Yeah. I know of that because my brother has, he has like a condition where he's got pressure in his eyes he had to have laser eye surgery right, and things. Yeah. so most nights he has to have like a, a ritual if you will where he has to put like cold presses on his eyes and reduce yeah, the yeah. pressure things like that so when he comes home for christmas and my mum sees him doing it she calls him queen nefertiti oh, because, really? yeah because <laughs> it's it's a very feminine ritual that yeah. he does um and also i've noticed there's some really good parallels there and I hate to bring it up, man, but the rise of Skywalker, Star Wars, right. right? They actually use a dagger that has like a map to find the holocron, which is a glowing like green orb stone thing. Oh, right, okay. So when you said that they had to find the, the sword yeah. to then find the gemstone, that was a, quite a good parallel to that. And that is how this story kind of go particularly the, these first the, this first episode that I'm doing on it that um, we, we're going to be covering the first two books the, mm -hmm. the green stone which we've just covered and now the eye of fire um, 
it is very much. It's, it's like <clears throat> you got to find one thing mm. um, that will direct you to the next point and then the next point and the next point. And it really is kind of almost like a Dan Brown novel, you know, where the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the Da Vinci Code or whatever. Um, but obviously this isn't a novel. This is... This is actual historical yeah, fact. This know? actually happened. Yeah, this actually happened. And it is quite funny because all of their mistakes are in the book. You know, they, they don't get everything perfect. They, they, they don't do every ritual 100% perfectly, but mm. they still manage to just scrabble their way through and, yeah. and to, to success, to a certain extent anyway. It makes it more realistic though, isn't it? Yeah. It's like we, we don't really edit our podcast unless we have to. Mm. And I, f I feel like that kind of makes it more more genuine. So the fact that they're owning up to their mistakes and showing you, like, yeah, you know, we, we did do this wrong or we didn't quite get this right, to me it just it makes it more realistic. Yeah. Um, but it also, because, it, like, I mean, it, it, this does kind of culminate in sort of a, a, a climax, if you like, mm -hmm. but it also anti-climaxes. Uh, like right at the end of the book, and then and then it sort of peters into this alternate sort of story. I, we'll cover it. We'll get there, but you, you can see it's it's not it's not. You wouldn't make a film out of this book mm. because it doesn't have that Hollywood ending. Yeah, you know what I mean there isn't that massive success, and we all lived happily ever after. It, 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 there is a bit of a weird ending to it. Oh, okay, uh, but like you say, it just makes it more believable. Yeah. But anyway, uh, as we move on, they've found the green stone, and this is the point where our author, Giuseppe La Rosa, who likes to be called Joe. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very Italian name, that Giuseppe. He is Italian. Yeah, 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 he, yeah. he is Italian. Uh, he's um, now, now basically writing in first person, this, okay. this part of the book. <clears throat> so in late November of 1981, I received a phone call from Chris Hewitson a friend who was a reporter for the local evening newspaper, the Evening Sentinel. He asked if I could arrange to see me to discuss something that he thought I might find interesting. Out of curiosity, I arranged to meet him the following day for a drink at a local pub. Um, I'm just gonna, I, I am going to flip through this a little bit. Uh, with an understated excitement, uh, his friend Chris related that through psychic information, a group of people had come together in the Midlands and discovered a sword hidden in a bridge. But not only that, they had also uncovered a brass casket that had been buried in the bank of a river. In the casket was a green stone. Some of the group were local to Stoke-on-Trent, and Chris eagerly stated that he had met one of them. I've arranged to interview him next week, and I'd like you to come along, he said tentatively. Um, OK, Chris, I'll come with you, I replied. I was intrigued by the story. An uncanny feeling told me that I should find out more about what was going on with this group of people. The day of the interview arrived, and that evening I drove to the pre-arranged meeting place on a, a, a car park of a public house in Blythe Bridge. Chris was waiting for me. A bearded gentleman was with him. He introduced me to his colleague, a fellow reporter called Dave Carter. Dave had also been intrigued by the story and wanted to come along. With formalities out of the way, we all climbed into Chris's car and made our way to the destination. Um, it was a small hamlet tucked away in the surrounding countryside. Before long, the headlights of the car highlighted a white building in the distance. That pub's my landmark, Chris stated. We turn right here. Uh, nearly there. So they went down... Uh, uh, you know, they're going down country roads and, and whatnot. And Chris said, that, that's the place. So... Uh, they they went in. Uh, uh, they were, yeah. So Chris introduced us to the owner, the homeowner, and we were ushered in out of the cold night air. The co cottage was quite cozy, and wooden beams running across the ceiling. Glancing around the room, my eyes were immediately attracted to a small recess containing a book stand. One particular book stood out. It was about the Knights Templar, and there were several others on esoteric subjects that I was familiar with. A person after my own heart, I thought to myself. Cut. Uh, we chatted informally for a short while with our host, Terry Shotton, and his wife, Pat. They appeared down-to-earth sort of people and were very friendly. Terry was in his late thirties with a thinning, sandy-coloured hair and a slight paunch. Pat was slim and attractive, with dark hair and occasional sl silver streak running through it. On first impressions, I thought they were a very pleasant couple. So they had cups of coffee and, and were discussing the, the story um, that they'd... Uh, they'd come to hear. Uh, 
he told us of the discovery of the green stone at Swan's Neck by the River Avon. I questioned Terry as to the origin of the stone, and he stated that they believed that at one time it had been in the hands of the Knights Templar. That moment I recalled the story from Wolfram von S. Eichenbach, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> a German troubadour who lived in the 12th century. He wrote that the Grail was a green stone and was protected by Templison, a direct reference to the Knights Templar. I mentioned this to Terry, and he informed me that they already had that information, and he was surprised that I knew of it. Other facts were discussed, some of which I had prior knowledge of, uh, but, and by this time I realised that I wanted to become involved in whatever was taking place with the group. For some time, I had had a strange feeling that something was awaiting me. While Terry Shotton had been relating his story, an eerie sensation had come over me, almost like deja vu. I knew instinctively that this was what I had been waiting for and wanted desperately to become involved. I was now, it was now quite late and time to return home. We thanked our host and his wife for allowing us to hear the story firsthand and then left. Driving back, Chris asked my opinion of the Green Stone story that Terry had written. Are you really ask, what you're really asking me is if I believe the story is true, is it not? I replied. Yes, Chris said. It sounds a bit far-fetched to me, Dave Carter's retorted. Well, I believe what Terry has told us, I stated, weighing my words carefully. Knowing what I know, it is well in the grounds of possibility that those events have occurred. In fact, I have decided to call Terry Shotton tomorrow to see if I might be allowed to join the group. You're convinced then, Joe, Chris said. Yes, I am. I knew without a shadow of a doubt that something momentous was occurring and I wanted to be part of it. We reached the pub car park, they parted ways, and the following day, Joe rings Terry and asks him if I would be able to uh, allowed to be, become involved. He responded by inviting me back to the cottage where I met another member of the group, Alan Beard. During our conversation, Terry asked me the origin of my surname. He was curious to point, pinpoint my nationality. I'm Italian, I replied. My surname, La Rosa, means the rose in Italian. Um, so Terry and Alan looked at each other curiously. I realised that my surname had some meaning to them, and from that moment I felt an air of acceptance. The following week, Terry invited me to travel to Flint in Wales with him, an invite which I accepted without hesitation. In Oakenholt, near Flint, I was introduced to the Sunderland family. Marion and her daughter Gaynor were part of the group already. It was Marion who held the green stone. I was allowed to hold the stone as it nestled in the palm of my hand. I wondered what power it held, and if it really was connected to the Holy Grail, as had been mentioned. Uh, a few days later, Terry invited me once more to, my, to his cottage, and I was introduced to Graham Phillips, the medium of the group. Having heard so much about him, I, especially his incredible psychic abilities, I did not know what to expect. As I walked into the cosy living room of Terry's country cottage, a tall, wiry figure confronted me, and Terry introduced us. Pleased to meet you, Joe, Graham replied with a friendly smile and held out his hand. Hi, Graham, responded as we shook hands warmly. Uh, they had pleasantries, had a chat and a coffee, um, and then Graham asked, so you'd like to become involved in the project, Joe? Yes, I would. You don't know what you're letting yourself in for, you know. Uh, Terry's already mentioned some of what has occurred. I believe that I can help because I do have some knowledge of the occult. What do you think, Terry? Graham asked, glancing at Terry, who was sitting comfortable in his easy chair. He'll be all right, he responded. As we've said in the past, if you are meant to be involved, you will be. Graham paced up and down the room and took another puff for his cigarette. Do you have to smoke, Terry said. I hope I don't sound elitist, Graham said taking a long drag of his cigarette and blowing it directly at Terry. <laughs> it's just that we have to be sure that you fit in with everyone else. Um, so they, they do accept him. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to... I'm looking at the time now. We're already half an hour in. I haven't really got that far with it. Um, but yeah, they, they accept him. Uh, and he's slowly... in integrated into the group. The first uh, outing that they go on, they go on without him, and they tell him that they had to go to uh, was it White Lady's Priory to um, uh, uh, battle a force of darkness. Mm, yeah. Um, and it does go into what happened with them there. Joe wasn't involved with that. He was a bit new. They didn't want to take him. They okay. wanted to protect him. 
So uh, that's what they did. So um, are these guys a, a group of, uh, the, you said the, the Mioneers? The, the Mioneer group, yeah. So is it all to do with the Green Stone then? And they've kind of got these side missions to, to find out the power of this Green Stone? What it is, is... Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Each of them have to find a stone. And then they have to find the chalice of Mianir and to perform this ritual um, to receive the knowledge of the afterlife, the truth about what is out there. Okay. In the end. Right. Um, but they have to go through these trials um, to, to find each stone individually. And then they have to go through the rituals. And all the time they've got the forces of darkness trying to yeah okay okay so so now we move on to like the the actual eye of fire and uh i think it's gainer that receives a a vision yeah it began with a vision in which gainer sunderland saw a lady on a horseback galloping towards a manor house on her arrival she hastily descended into the cellar then quickly returned gainer could sense a dread fear cursing through the woman's body she was being pursued and needed to get away. The lady ran out of the house and galloped away on a horse into the surrounding countryside, rain teeming down from the blackened skies. Soon the sodden woman arrived at a church-like building and opening a small purse, tipped an object out onto her palm. Um, translu- translucent, elliptical, orangey-red stone. The vision changed. The woman was now galloping along a desolate country road in unrepentant rain, beating down around her. Gainer felt the fear that coursed through the woman's body. Behind the fleeing woman, the three men on horseback were deadly pursuit. Attempting to distance herself from the adversary, she began to ride across the water in sodden countryside. Her escape continued across waterlogged fields and ditches, horse and rider taking fences and hedgerows with stride. But behind them, the three riders continued their relentless pursuit, gaining on the riding, on the tiring rider in front. Ahead of them, the rider appeared to jump a fallen tree trunk. The horse twisted and fell, throwing its rider heavily to the ground. They spurred their horses on as their prey lay unmoving on the ground. Within a few moments, they had arrived at the scene, the woman still lying immobile on the floor. The three men dismounted, gathering around the nigh lifeless body of the woman. A sinister, tall, bearded man turned the lifeless form onto its back. Gainer sensed the aura of evil that permeated every fibre of his being and shuddered coldly. She knew that she had been witness to the woman's death and that the year was 1865. This woman had been the leader of the Order of the Mianir. Uh, her successor was Mary Heath. The psychic information revealed that Mary had once lived at Bidolf Grange in Staffordshire. Um, the tall-bearded man was identified as John Langley, a black magician who had caused the downfall of the order ten years later in 1875. Another one of Gainer's visions pinpointed that Mary Heath had been the last recipient of the Eye of Fire. In order to stop the stone from falling into the hands of John Langley, um, she had disbanded the group. In December of 1875, she stayed with an old friend making plans to hide the Eye of Fire before leaving Mary before leaving Mary hid something in the house. This object was a bell, but the person who was entrusted to retrieve the bell had unfortunately died before being able to do so. So this 
was their first port of call. Find the bell. The bell would lead them to the stone. Okay. So that's what. So to not read everything that's in this book, because obviously we're already over half an hour now. Um, they go to Ranton Hunting Lodge, which is an old derelict building. Um, this is where um, Mary Heath had um, hidden the bell, and they. Ha I think they have to do it by nightfall. Uh, yeah, um, but it's a huge manor house, derelict now, and they all go in there looking around, start dying of the day, the sun's going down, and they have been given this psychic information that the bell is under the watch of a spirit called the Guardian. Mm. And as, as they're searching for this, um, this, this bell... They're looking through all the rubble and, you know, all, all this sort of thing. They come across um, a graffiti that said, this place is haunted, there is a ghost here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think some people have have uh, have, have, um, have been, had encounters there anyway. Um, but um, It's a real mysterious sounding place. Yeah, but uh, as I said before, they don't always get things on the money mm -hmm. and they don't actually find the bell until after the sun has gone down it's to, they, oh. they're, they're out of time um, they had to do it by sundown to deactivate the guardian but because they didn't find it until after sundown the guardian's still there and he's still raging angry trying to protect the, the, the eye of fire mm. basically so who, could he be linked with the ghostly activity and things that... Be... Yeah, he is very much linked with activity that, at the start of this book. And he's very... Uh, he, he's uh, imperative to the mission, really. Oh, okay. Because um, they, they, they then have to... What they end up doing is they go to some caves, I think, in Wales. I'm not going to read it all in detail now. Um, but they have to go to the, uh, this cave in Wales and perform a ritual where they ring the bell and ask for the stone which again they kind of mess up a little bit but it does work out for them and they end up having a visitation from this Guevara, the ghost of Guevara the, okay. the, the warrior queen from ancient times Okay, nice. and she tells them that they've got to um, go to a point and ring the bell to receive the information on how they can gain the stone. Mm. And again, it's all psychic information, and they find out that they've got to go to a place in Norfolk, not too far from here. Oh. Um, it used to be a uh, windmill, uh, but it's now known as St. Bennett's Abbey. Um and so they, they they travel over to the Norfolk Broads. They they hire a boat, uh, like a little river cruiser, and they go. They make a little mission, going up the Broads. They find St Bennet's Abbey. There's a photo of it here, as they were there at the time. Um, but then they carry on sailing past it. I don't know why they sail past it at this point, but. They do. I think. I think they were looking for uh, a pub or something that, that they could have some dinner or something like that. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're moored up for the night. Um, they've gone out, or some of them gone out, gone out to the pub or whatever. Um, but Joe and I think it's Graham um, are, are on the deck of the boat, and they they can see St Bennet's Abbey, just you know, a couple of fields away or whatever, and they say. That as they're sat there watching it, this strange orange light appears over the top of the abbey and just remains there hovering um, mm. for, for quite a while. They, they see it, um, obviously wondering what it was and whatnot, and they tell the others when they come back. Um, so, yeah, here it is. What the hell, I exclaimed in amazement, as the light dropped into the building and out of sight. In stunned silence, we watched... As the distant, as in the distance, the abbey became a light with a bright, brilliant red glow, a halo of incandescence, burning red light enveloped the building. 
The fiery luminescence pervaded all within the walls of the ancient sanctuary. There's something strange going on, I remarked to Graham and Terry as we looked at each other. They nodded in agreement. I don't know what that was, Terry stated, but it might possibly be connected to the eye of fire. Well, it seemed the right colour, Graham acknowledged, but whatever it is, we need some answers. Um, I believe that we should have a seance and try and obtain the answers. Perhaps Guevara or Mary Heath might communicate with us. I know there is only three of us, but it's worth a try. So Graham and Terry agreed. Fetching a pen of paper and scissors, we made a circle of letters and numbers on the cabin table. A glass was put in the middle. We were now ready. I'll be the scribe, Graham said, picking up pen and paper. Terry and I nodded in agreement and placed our index fingers on the upturned glass. Is anybody there? Terry inquired in a loud voice. For 30 seconds we waited for some sign of movement. Terry's face, a picture of concentration, but nothing was happening. I was just about to speak when the glass began to move. Like a skater on ice, the glass moved effortlessly across the table. Who are you? asked Terry. The, the letters spelt Mary Heath. The glass returned to the middle of the table. Thank goodness you've come, Terry exclaimed. Can you tell us anything about the red light we saw over the abbey? Again, the glass moves and it spells out. The red light you saw is the advanced, li the advanced light of the eye of fire moving closer to your dimension. The secret held within the walls of the abbey has been activated. You must be within the great bell tower at sunrise. The bell must be rung within that sanctuary at that time. Beware the guardian, for it is then that he will strike. The guardian is getting stronger, and I do not know if I can control him. I must go now. Communicate again at 11. Now, in the meantime, before they actually set off on this, while they were doing that whole ritual in the cave, Marion was at home. I, I, I don't know if Gaynor was with her, but Marion had a visitation from the guardian. Mm. Like a spooky visitation where it appeared to her as her own decaying corpse. Oh. <laughs> okay, so we've so got paranormal. Quite threatening. Yeah. Scary. Now, obviously, they're now actively trying to find this eye of fire. The Guardian is going to be coming after them. Terry's got the bell. Where was the bell? Oh, it was in that man manor house. They, oh, they it did, was in the manor yeah, house. Yeah, they, they did recover it. But do you remember I said they didn't recover it in time? So the Guardian is now after them. Oh, okay. It's all linked. Yeah. <clears throat> so the next morning, they wake up bright and early before sunrise and turn the boat around and start sailing back towards St. Bennett's Abbey. They get collared by some fishermen. Apparently there's a fishing competition going and they can't sail down the river. Oh, so they have to turn no. back around again. Time is against them at this point, remember. They've yeah. got to get there at sunrise. So they've got to find an alternative route. And they do. But they've got to literally go by foot through all this marshland. Terry's got the bell with him. And he keeps getting attacked by an unseen force knocked off the path into the marsh. Wow. So they have to keep going back and pulling him out of like deep mud and, and bogginess and stuff. And by the time they actually get to the bell tower, ring the bell and ask for the stone, it's too late. No. Sunrise has already happened. Like I say, it's they, they never ever get it quite spot on. There's always like a mistake, and they got to catch up afterwards. Mm. So they go back to the boat, and they're a bit depressed. Um, and I think they do another séance or something like that. And they decide to go back to the bell tower just to see if there's any um, sort of uh, lingering... Uh, Spirits or anything? Yeah, sort of information that they're getting, psychic information, lingering information. And that's what they do. Um, and then uh, while he's in there, I'm not sure if it's Terry or Graham. It could be Terry, I think. Um, uh, he... he he says um, he's got this, this fleeting sensation that they've got to stick to the river. Yeah? Okay. That, that's the information that he's... It's not clear, but he's... But that's what the... The, 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 the sense that he's got. Um, so they, they carry on exploring the river. They're trying to feel this psychic information being fed to them. Um, and they're like, oh, let's go this way, let's go that way. It ends up like there's... a raging torrenting storm going you know they're, they're all day out on the river it's starting to get dark at night but they've managed to find 
this place where Terry's had a vision of, mm. which is like just a, a, a small coppice of trees next to the river. Um, and they moor up the boat there, and they do another seance, mm -hmm. and they get hold of Mary Heath again. And they say, thank God you've come, Terry exclaimed. Uh, we were unable to retrieve the information from the Abbey because the Guardian hindered us. Can you tell us if there is anything we can do? Glass moved again. Even though you were too late to retrieve the full information that I had left at the Abbey, you still have managed to arrive at the place where I last came. You have made only one error, for you should be on the other side of the river. I will return at eight. So they unmoor, they get over the other side of the mirror, river, moor it up again, wait until eight o'clock, get another message. This is Mary. You have done well. All is not lost, for there is still a chance. My creation, the guardian, is the key to the stone. You must try and communicate with him and explain why you are here and what you have to do. Graham's body will have to be used. The guardian is now very powerful. I cannot stop him. You are in God's hands now. Good luck. If all is well, I will communicate later. Now, they realise, um, because what, one of them gets possessed by the Guardian. Uh, Martin, I think his name is. And, um, yeah, that they have to... Yeah, it is. It, it is Martin. He attacks Graham. Um, and then they realise that the Guardian is Martin. Graham murmured and sat bolt upright. His breathing was long and shallow. I glanced at Martin. Even though he was still out cold, I think they had to knock him out. Uh, he appeared to have returned to normal. The Guardian was gone. All attention was turned to Graham as he began to speak. It is, uh, he's in a trance. It is I, Mary. The Guardian has gone now, and you will be able to obtain the stone. But first, you must answer a question. It is a test to see if you are worthy of the Eye of Fire. Who is Meonia. Uh, they're, they're all kind of just a bit um, perplexed by that one. Mary says, I need an answer. And Terry says, well, we all have different ideas of what Meonia actually is, but essentially we think it's God. Mm. And Mary replies, that is correct. But because you seem to differ, I cannot allow you to take the stone. For a moment we were struck silent. After all our efforts, victory was being snatched away at the last moment. Well, that's unfair, Terry replied caustically. Every person has a different image of God, but essentially we all know that it is one and the same thing. I will be back, Mary replied. Graham went silent. Um, so they have to move Martin. Graham goes back into another trance. It is I, Mary. It has been decided that you may obtain the stone. You will need Graham for this. He will know what to do. You have done well, my successors. Now may Meonia be with you. Graham's chin dropped onto his chest. Mary Heath had gone. The communication was over. Uh, and Graham wakes up. Um, so, uh, the, yeah. Graham's got this psychic information of what's got to go on. And they get a visit from the white lady. He's, Graham says, oh, the white lady is here. Terry, ring the bell and ask for the, for the stone. Terry holds the bell at arm's length, struck it firmly with his pen. A clean, pure tone rang out. I have come for the stone, he said loudly. As if in answer to his request, a high-pitched whine, like a large electrical generator, began to resonate around us. What the bloody hell is this? I exclaimed in astonishment. And where the hell's it coming from? Jean and Susan, two of the other people that were with them, gripped my hands tightly, their mouths open in amazement. I've heard that sound before in the garden, Terry exclaimed excitedly. Joe, Jean, Susan, start chanting 1-8, Graham ordered. In unison, we began to chant 1-8-1-8-1-8-1-8 in an unceasing flow, forming a resonance that I could feel vibrating through my whole body. The high-pitched whine stopped abruptly. Ring the bell again, Terry, and ask for the stone, Graham said. Moving towards the small flight of stairs that led to the deck, Terry held out the bell again and struck it hard with his pen. I have come for the stone, Terry stated firmly, as the note vibrated across the boat. Now chant 8-1, Graham responded, beckoning us to stop. 
eight one eight one eight one eight one. We we three started chanting. The numbers meant nothing to us, but we realized that they must somehow be important. Graham stood silent as we chanted for nearly a minute, while Terry waited expectantly for something to happen. Right, Terry, so Graham current suddenly cried, we've got to go outside. You three have to stay here. When you hear Terry ring the bell, start chanting 1-8 again. We were a bit disappointed, but we watched them go outside. The sound of the bell rang out, clear, clear, crystal clear in the night air. We realised that the rain had se seemingly stopped and it was eerily calm. Down below in the cabin, Jean, Susan and I heard our cue. One, eight, one, eight, one, eight, one, eight. We began to chant rhythmically. I could hear Terry's muffled voice asking for the stone. A high-pitched whine rent the air, sending a shockwave through the boat. A thrill th ran through my body, goose pimples rising up on my skin. Jean and Susan seemed awestruck as we continued to chant the magical number. Something caught my eye. As I looked out through the exit door, the darkness outside was torn away. A whole area around the boat enveloped in a brilliant white light, almost immediately framed in the cabin porthole. A large burning crimson ball of fire appeared in the trees close by now. I could not believe my eyes. Good God, I cried out in astonishment. What is that? Jean and Sue, and Sue strained to catch a glimpse of the burning ball. Whatever it was, it hovered in the branches for a few moments, then shrunk in size before dropping out of my sight. I wondered what Terry and Graham were doing outside and what they were seeing. Heavy thuds above us warned that one of our companions was returning. Terry appeared from out of the darkness. It's unbelievable, he said, his voice full of emotion. I've just seen the white lady. Graham was actually standing inside her. Three balls of white light appeared in the sky above us. The white lady then just rose up into the sky and all became one single ball of white light. It just shot off and disappeared. Sudden noises outside alerted us that something may be wrong. Ow, ow, ow. Sounded like Graham's voice and then all went quiet. We waited in hushed silence for Graham's return. Surely the Guardian had not struck when we were so close to retrieving the stone. Heavy footsteps proclaimed that someone was coming. Our eyes became fixed on the door. A dark, ominous shadow glided down the steps towards us. A tall black figure appeared silhouetted in the doorway. It stepped into the light. It was Graham. For a moment we all stood silent, staring at each other. Terry could not contain himself. Have you got it? He cried out, his eyes begging for confirmation. Graham stood silent. An enigmatic look on his face, he held out a clenched fist and slowly opened his hand. There, lying on the palm of his hand, was a small orangey-red stone, the Eye of Fire. I stared down in disbelief at the Eye of Fire. It actually existed. Somehow we had opened a dimensional doorway and had retrieved Mary Heath's stone. What awesome occult power she must have had to have placed it beyond the reach of our arch-adversary, John Lane. And well, that's uh, that's that really. Um, that's pretty much the end of the chapter. Um, they just kind of take it home and show everybody, the whole group, and um, that is where I am going to leave for today. What are you thinking, Josh? What are your impressions of this? Uh... Wow, I mean, there is a lot going on there. It's it's quite an exciting one, isn't it? And I've missed out so much because I can't fit mm. it all in. I am liking it so far. I am liking it. Uh, there's, I've got to mention it because I know there's going to be someone thinking it. It sounds a lot like Infinity War by uh, you yeah. know, like the Avengers yeah, where they're yeah. collecting stones. But all jokes aside, I find that very interesting. Yeah. The fact that they're, they're not just... Um, how do I put this nicely? Like, I, I want to be very respectful to, to Joe as well. It's... Some someone could come along and say they've buried these stones beforehand and it's just an elaborate prank or, or whatever. They could, yeah. But the reason I don't think they have is because they've gone through a lot of stuff. Like you've got ghosts in there, you've got guardians, you've got mm -hmm. the paranormal, you've got psychic abilities, you've got artifacts that they've actually found and got yeah, hold yeah, of. Yeah. And different dimensions are now being mentioned. Yeah. They've and also travelled the and I'd just like to point out it was because obviously th those two stories, the Greenstone and the Eye of Fire, mm. were uh, Graham and Terry, I think, wrote two books only 
covering those events. Yeah, they yeah. hadn't even got to the rest of this. What's in this book? Mm. So why would they hoax that? Because yes, there's yeah, no yeah. reason for it. Just to get a stone. Oh, great! Wow. Yeah. yeah. Know, what's it for? <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that's why I'm actually intrigued to see where it goes. Is what do these stones have? Like, what powers do they have? And another thing that it's pointed out to me is everyone kind of associates ghosts with just staying in one place and haunting one building. But it's very interesting that they can reach out and this Mary, is it Mary of Heath? Mary Heath. Mary yeah, Heath. Yeah. Uh, she can almost be summoned to to speak to wherever they are. And yeah. the same with the Guardian. The Guardian obviously is, is following them and trying to stop very, very them much so, yeah. from getting these artists. So there is there is kind of a bit more going on with the Guardian that I didn't really go into in, in this episode because it, it is very, very prevalent. It keeps mm. like it torments like Terry and Pat at their house. They have, yeah. keep having visitations, like you say. It, it will present itself to them as their own decaying corpse. You know, they have mm -hmm. a vision of this, and it's really psychically attacking them. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and they need their psychic abilities, so mm -hmm. that, that's what it's trying to scrape away at, you know, trying to, trying yeah. to lessen their abilities. And the other reason it, I think it gives it credence as well is it's, it doesn't seem to be just Terry getting the visions. or Like you said, there's that, is it, was it Guinevere? Gainer, Gainer, is, sorry, the young girl. Yeah, she's quite psychic. Yeah. Graham is the main medium. Yeah, so they've but, all got these. But they've all, yeah, they've all got this intuition. That's what. Mm. That's what sort of drives them to even join the group in the first place. Is they have yeah. to have this intuition, and uh, there's a, there's a, a thing which we'll cover next chapter where Joe has. To, well, they all have like their own personal challenges. Mm -hmm. uh, Joe has his, and even though he. He manages to to complete his challenge. He doesn't report back to the group on the right day. They they all like uh, um, they arranged to meet on like a Saturday or something like that. And and mm. Joe turns up on the Saturday, and they were like, "Oh, you should have been here two days ago." Apparently, the, the you know the powers of B said that you failed your challenge because you weren't intuitive enough to turn up. But oh. I mean, that's that'll be that'll be in the next episode. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you about that. But uh, yeah, I mean, they they've all got that kind of gift, and you know that. Mm. gut feeling if you like well I'm I'm very intrigued to see where it goes because I'm a fan of Indiana Jones I like artifacts I like ghosts paranormal stuff and yeah. you know emerald stones happen to be my favourite kind of stone so. they've all, all got to get a stone I like all I think there's what eight of them or something um and when we're, when are we... I was going to ask you how many stones there are altogether. I think it's eight but there's also like a chalice and like this ring, the, uh, the four wraith rings and all this sort of stuff that they've got to go through. And uh, when I showed you this book the other night, you um, picked out a pattern in here somewhere. I can't find it now. There it is. Uh, yeah. The tree of life. So each one of these circles in, in this pattern is, is represented by a stone, I think, if mm -hmm. I can remember rightly. We'll, we'll cover that. Yeah. Um, so, but the, yeah, to start with, they've just got to go around collecting these stones and find the chalice of Mia Nia, which is what we're gonna go into mm. next time. But for now, that was the Green Stone, the Eye of Fire, and Chronicles of Mia. We were doing three books in one just then. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and that's just the basics so that far. Is, yeah, that, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm literally taking a lot of the meat and bones out of it and just giving you the bare back of it. Um, but I mean, obviously, for anybody at home listening to this, if you if you want to buy a copy of the book yourself and find out all the missing pieces that I've, I can't cover in in just an hour of episode, yeah, <laughs> then I really do recommend this book. It, it is it is a good read, very compelling. Um, the first time I read it through in like two days straight, it's, it just it's just one one of those that you can't put down when you start going mm. with it, you know. Yeah, any avid readers out there? Yeah. So no paranormality scale this week. No. We'll wait until we get to the end of the book, uh, and then we'll do the paranormality scale, and then the week after we'll obviously have the interview, and we'll yeah. have um, uh, Joe LaRosa's actual personal I've already got uh, questions for him. So yeah? Yeah, yeah. Good, good. I hope you've got plenty for him mm. in a few weeks' time. And Yeah, until, until next week, I guess, when we carry on with the Chronicles of Mia Nia. Uh, I've been Pirate. I'm Josh. This has been Paranormality UK. Ta-ta. Ta-ta.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.